Hi, I'm Courtney. This is Something Positive for Positive People. And today I'm going to introduce my first guest. This is Luna, who is 27 years old. She's a Caucasian cisgendered female who works in herbal medicine and lives in Vermont. Good job. Oh, I got it. Yes. You got it. <laughs> yeah, it took uh, two takes to get that done. So we actually did an episode before, the day after Halloween. I was hungover, I was kind of sick, and I was still wearing my Halloween costume. And the sound quality was bad. I moved around a lot, I did a lot of sniffling, and I had to like go away from the mic to cough, but you could still hear it in the background. So luckily, Luna was able to make time for me for us to do a redo. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm always happy to talk with you. Oh, appreciate that. So... Luna here is HSV-1 and HSV-2 positive, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I'm a collector. Got <laughs> uh, so what, how long have, well, you said you were, di- you had HSV-1 since you were a child, but you were mm-hmm. recently diagnosed by recently, I mean, 2015, diagnosed with HSV-2, is that correct? I think it was 2014, actually. Oh, 2014, you were diagnosed with HSV-2. I think so. It's kind of hard for me to remember. I know some people have this, like, herbiversary or whatever they want to call it, where they, they really remember the day they were diagnosed. I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was 14. Yeah. <laughs> I could be wrong. And I'm the same way. It was 14 or 15, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so when you were diagnosed, how did how did that happen? Like, how did, uh, what made you go and get tested, get checked? Well, I get tested at least once a year, every year. Um, I have ever since I, I guess since I was sexually active, I was getting tested every year. And especially in college, because I was effectively, I wasn't identifying as polyamorous or non-monogamous at that point, but I was like part of hookup culture in college. So I was definitely having sex with multiple people. And by the time I was getting tested in 2014, I was identifying as polyamorous or like, I'm not monogamous, so I was dating multiple people, and I went to get my regular screening. Now I tend to get tested like twice a year, Um, and that year, they called me after I got my test, and I was like, how is everything? She goes, oh, you know about the herpes, right? And I was like, yeah, I have type 1, and she goes, no, type 2, and that I kind of for a second was like in shock. I was like, what? How did that happen? And I asked her about it why I hadn't heard about it before. I was like, but last year I was negative for that. She was like, oh, we didn't test you for herpes last year, which is the classic case of like, when you ask to be tested for everything, they don't test you for everything. But I did have a negative HSV2 test at least in 2013 or 2012, depending on whatever year I got diagnosed. Two years before that, I was negative. They missed a year. And so by the time I got diagnosed that, I was like, shit, I could have had this for up to two years, basically. And everyone I've had sex with, I've been telling that I test negative for everything. So that could be, you know, I could have mm-hmm. been lying. Yeah. And so I was kind of in shock. It's, that's kind of scary because you knew you had HSV-1 and you, when she called, she said, oh, you know about the herpes. She didn't say you know about the HSV-1, not mm-hmm. the HSV-2. So she made the assumption that it was the same or she made the assumption that you knew that you had already had both types of herpes. So had you not been like, oh, it's just V1, then you'd have gone on another at least six months not knowing, uh, possibly, because the next person could have done the same thing. So that's crazy. That's totally true. 
completely true. I never actually thought about it from that angle, but you're you're definitely right. If I had not asked that clarifying question, I would have been like, oh yeah, I already know, and I would have gone about my life just thinking I had HSV one orally, like I always have since I was for as long as I can remember. Which, from society's point of view, is completely normal and fine and acceptable because HSV one orally is just cold sores. And mm-hmm. and talking to people like there's a completely different. You're received a little bit differently if you have cold sores versus having herpes or HSV2 or if you have HSV1 genitally like people hear completely different things like oh cold sores everybody gets those but then when you say oh yeah it's herpes or oral herpes or HSV1 orally then it's like what the fuck ew gross so that's uh you know what's interesting about that though is that I always used to think that too like when I was only positive for HSV1 or even at least a year after I got diagnosed with HSV2 genitally I, I kind of did treat HSV-1 like, oh, it's no big deal, like up to, we don't have numbers, right? But it's like at least 65% of the population, if not 80 or 90% of the population has HSV-1 orally. It's, it's very high, yeah. And it's more than half, So I kind of sure. thought it was no big deal. But recently I've had, like at least in my communities, I don't know what you've been hearing from doing the podcast, I'm just interacting with a lot more people who are much more freaked out by HSV-1 orally than I've ever been. Because mm-hmm. I've had it since I was a kid. So to me... It's not even an STI at that point. Like, I didn't get it sexually. Right. I probably got it from, like, a kiss from my mom or, like, sharing a cup with my mom or something like that. It wasn't sexual. It was just, like, regular being a kid and sharing germs with people. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm older and I'm, like, I guess because of the communities I'm in, I've been I've been having a lot of STI conversations in some of my communities. And people are really freaked out by HSU-1 even orally. And I'm not sure if that's because more people are getting it generally or if because the stigma is so strong that people are like, oh, herpes, like, I don't want it anywhere in my body, mm-hmm. you know? Have you talked to your mom about having herpes? Because um, I remember you yeah. telling me before that your mom has it. And then you said that, you know, you had it, you got cold sores as a kid. So, like, I feel like the story behind that, if you're telling someone, let's say you're disclosing, you're saying, oh, you know, I had cold sores as a kid. When you say it like that, it shifts the conversation. You shift that other person's perception to be more, um, it, it's like, oh, you didn't get an STD. You get cold sores that you got as a kid. But if you were to have gotten cold sores like now, then maybe they would have received it like, oh, shit, you have herpes. Maybe. That was kind of two questions. So I'll try to answer them in order. Like, I have talked to my mom about having herpes. And just be one I do remember her mentioning growing up saying things like, oh, I have a cold sore right now. Mm-hmm. And I have had cold sores when I was a kid too. Like, I don't think I've really gotten them as an adult. I can't remember the last time I had one. But I do remember having them as a kid. And if I would mention it to my mom, she'd be like, oh, that's just a cold sore. And we would go get like a Breva. Is that yeah. that little thing they sell over the mm-hmm. counter? Um, so I knew she had it, but I just never thought anything of it. I was like, oh, whatever, cold sores. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that it was herpes at that mm-hmm. time. And then I did talk to my parents. I told my parents when I got diagnosed with herpes type 2. I'm not sure when, but at some point in time, I did mention it. Um, And there was no judgment from them. I don't think they really, at least if there was, they didn't didn't let me know that they were judging me for that. Um, So, yeah, I don't think my mom has type 2. I'm pretty positive she just has type 1. Not that I've never asked her outright, but I'm I'm pretty positive. (laughs) Okay. So having a conversation with your mom wasn't, or your parents, wasn't difficult at all? I'm pretty sure I just lumped it in. Yeah. This is actually a good transition conversation to um, 
me having come out on Facebook about herpes because I lumped it into when I told them that I was bisexual or pansexual um, and polyamorous. Or mm-hmm. I think maybe those are split up a little bit. I think I told my mom about polyamory at some point and she didn't take it very well. I don't think she liked that. She was like, why do you need to have a label for that? Like, it could just be a phase, you know, Yeah. that kind of, that kind of thing that parents say. Um, but I'm pretty sure I lumped herpes in when I was like, Hey, by the way, I'm queer. I'm attracted to multiple genders and I have herpes. And so I kind of threw it all in at once. And I don't really know how my mom reacted. My dad was really cool about it. He, um, I think I actually told them by text because I was nervous about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only a couple of years ago that I finally told them. And for some reason, I because I think I, the way I told my mom about polyamory, she didn't take it very well. So I was like, well, how is she going to take it when I like tell her these other things? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is and before you, has, is this before you came out on uh, National Coming Out Day? Yes. Okay. It probably was on National Coming Out Day. The thing is, National Coming Out Day is also my birthday. No. And so I'm always very, I'm always very aware of it. Like I'm always just, it's kind of, you know, in my field of vision very strongly. And so I think I actually did send them that text on National Coming Out Day because I felt inspired too. And I was just like, it's my birthday. Nobody can be, yeah. <laughs> no one can take it weird when it's my birthday. But that was at least a year before I did it on Facebook, mm-hmm. if not two years. Oh, uh, so you got that. It's nice to have your birthday associated with something like so large especially with it being National Coming Out Day. It's not just that to you. It's like, oh, yeah, it's also my birthday. All these people are doing these cool things for my birthday, and you can just make it about you or about attaching your birthday to it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and at the same time, feel part of a community. I love seeing everybody's posts on National Coming Out Day, even if they're already out as gay or bisexual or whatever. I do want to clarify, by National Coming Out Day, um, that's October 11th, and it's it's specifically for the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. I've seen... I've seen some people come out as other things, like come out as kinky or whatever. Straight people come out as kinky, and in general, my queer friends don't receive that very well. Hold on. People um, come out as kinky? Yeah. That's a weird thing. That's weird. Like, yeah. Wait, I, mean, I so, can understand wanting to be out as whatever, like be yourself out in the world, because obviously you and I are both into that. But, but it's, it's not for you. You know what I mean? That, like, that's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's not for them. Um, it's totally fine for if somebody, if somebody is queer, if they're gay and they also want to tack on, like I kind of tacked my things on. I was like, Hey, I'm attracted to multiple genders. Also, I'm not monogamous. Also, I have herpes. Like I threw everything all out there at once because it was all kind of piling on top. And I was like, you know what? If I want to be out about this one thing, I'm just going to be out about everything. Yeah. But I think to, to, if you're part of a privileged group, if you're a white guy and you're straight and you're cis and you have this one little thing if you were going to come out as like being kinky or as having HSV one orally or something, I'd be like, come on, dude, don't take up that space. That's not for you. But I mean, part of that is just everybody wanting to be included. And I think that it's a way for people to support and encourage it. Cause I mean, how many people who really don't, how many people who are privileged to not have any STDs or not have to deal with problems, uh, a prejudice in society or anything like that like how can they really support or be involved without taking the thing that they feel like is such a secret to them and being like oh i also like feet you know <laughs> i'm coming out about liking feet i, I kind of think there's a time and a place to do it i'm yeah. all for people coming out and for showing that like 
not only is everybody exactly what we think they are at face value, I love hearing that somebody has an identity that they are more marginalized. You know, even if we might be like, oh, well, you're white, so I'm going to make this assumption about you. But being like, no, I have this other thing, another way in which I feel like I'm other or in which I feel like society is kind of leaving me behind or is, you know, that makes putting sense. me at a disadvantage. But there's other times to do that. Like, for, have you heard about Shout Your Status? I've seen it. I've not looked into it or investigated it at all. That was, I don't actually know how big it is, but um, Ella Dawson, who I mentioned last time we did our interview, um, she is a writer, a blogger who was kind of one of the first people to be like, hey, I have herpes, and she got internet famous for it. Um, I think you said you might have seen her TED Talk, and she has a really good website, especially for people who have first been diagnosed. If you go to, it's probably elladawson.com, D-A-W-S-O-N, and she's got a whole section about herpes. She was the one who started this hashtag, and I think it was an association with a month that was like for STI status, Mm -hmm. and her idea was shout your status, let's make it a hashtag, let's make it public, and show that we're not ashamed to be positive for an STI. Oh, okay. Um, So I think there is a whole month for that, and I don't know if there's another time for people of other identities, but I do think being sensitive to that and maybe making a post or telling your friends, like, hey, I see you and I support you, without feeling like like you have to be included step in. Yeah. yeah okay and that makes sense I'm glad you said that because that's a way it's just not a way that I've thought about it um, as far as being able to support without having to be involved so I see it both ways though I do know what you mean because especially if you are if you're part of some group and you want to be like hey me too like I'm here I'm showing empathy with you mm-hmm. I can understand that but I've definitely seen some pushback specifically only around the national coming out day thing yeah, and I've seen that. A good example would be like the Me Too campaign uh, of like worst case scenario with the guys saying certain types of things that they really shouldn't be saying. As far as like yeah. how the women women are sexually harassed and guys are like, well, we are too. No, that's that's not how this works. <laughs> See, that's, that's interesting because now now you and I kind of have switched perspectives because I actually do. I didn't have a problem with my guy friends who've been sexually assaulted coming out as part of the Me Too campaign. I I saw a lot of pushback from that, and I do understand where people are coming from when people are like, hey, dude, like, find another time to talk about this. Right now, this is women, like women's moment. But I kind of feel like there's never a great time. Men are never given a good time to talk about when they've been sexually assaulted. Like, our society likes to pretend that that doesn't happen. And I've heard a lot of times that men are silenced about their sexual assault because people are like, well, we kind of don't need to listen to you women are the bigger deal here and while it definitely women being sexually assaulted is far more common and a far more bigger issue just because of how widespread it is i also (laughs) i also think men need to have that space too we need to show that like sexual assault patriarchy hurt everyone including men um and I mostly, even if it isn't the right time for men to talk about that, I mostly didn't like the way I saw women approaching that because a lot of my guy friends who were coming out at that time were being really vulnerable and talking about these experiences that they've been totally traumatized by and it would turn into these massive internet fights because women would jump on them and be like, this is not your time, this is not your space. And I was kind of like, you could, you could message someone about that and bring it to their attention, but you starting a fight about it on the internet is not only taking up more space and drawing more attention to the men away from the women 
but it's also just shitty to like take a survivor and attack them and like compound on that trauma that they're experiencing well i guess that the ones that i've seen or heard about in particular have been kind of passive aggressive like oh yeah well um like i don't want to say openly seen but you would say uh like for guys who would be like well i'm just not going to talk to women anymore because i don't know when i'm sexually harassing them i didn't mean that like the extremes of people who have actually been sexually abused okay, but i'm glad you, you i'm glad you touched about, on that totally yeah like, that. yeah <laughs> that whole passive aggressive thing of like oh, well, men get raped too, and they're just saying it as a talking point to detract attention. The people who I'm thinking of, luckily, I don't think I have a lot of friends like that. Yeah. I think the people that you're talking about, thank God they're not in my social circles as much. <laughs> um, the men who I saw were really, really careful about it, had put a lot of thought and intention into it. They read the language very specifically when that Me Too thing first started going around. The text was like, if you have been sexually assaulted, it didn't, or like, this is for anyone who's been sexually assaulted. When it first came out, it wasn't saying women who've been sexually assaulted. So they read that language. They thought about it. They listened. They provided support for the women in their lives. But there are men who survived childhood sexual abuse. Or a lot of times it's childhood. But there's, you know, all kinds of situations in which people can be assaulted and yeah. harassed. Right. And it's terrible for everyone. It's just, it's more systemic for women, which is why it needs more attention. But we also have to talk about the ways in which everybody's affected by it. Mm-hmm. And now you sip your tea. I like how you did that. That was clutch time. You make this super valid point and then you just grab that, grab your coffee mug or tea and just take a sip. I love it. <laughs> I'm trying not to go all horse during the No, it's fine. You take a drink whenever you need to. You're doing great. And I appreciate all of the insight you're doing. Um, one of the things that I know I wanted to thank you for was, uh, like I said before on the other episode that no one will ever hear because I'm coughing and all that kind of stuff, was just like, thank you for coming out and sharing your post and saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm queer, bisexual, I have, and I have herpes, and then, like, sharing that you did that, because, like I told you before, you know, that kind of had me, like, oh, I was on the fence about sharing the podcast with the people uh, on my Facebook feed and in my uh, friend circle, so seeing that and then talking to you i was like oh well it's really not that big of a deal why not so i didn't specifically come out and say i have herpes but it was just hey i'm doing this podcast where i interview people who are living with stds about their uh, about their experience and then if you listen to the podcast obviously it's there but more so recently because well now uh there's an article out from STL Today, where I'm from St. Louis, so that's our newspaper here. Um, I had an interview with a junior reporter. She called me and just asked questions about the podcast, asked if she could write a story about it, and I think two months later, <laughs> it got published. So uh, there was an article out, and one of my clients actually sent it to me early on and was like, oh my God, I'm so proud of you, great job. I was like, oh, so this is out now. And I wasn't going to share it with anybody, but like the people closest to me who saw it were very, very supportive about it. And the opening line is, Courtney, some, some, some diagnosed with herpes five years ago. It's like, oh, well, shit, anyone who opens this knows. (laughs) St. Louis today just came out for you. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) So That's um, amazing, though. I'm proud of you, too. And I think it's awesome that I understand that wanting to be humble and not wanting to be like, hey, look, there's a newspaper article written about me. But at the same time... 
your audience is growing so fast. And part of that is things like that article and sharing it with your friends and letting people know, like, not only that your podcast is out there, but more and more people are going to realize they're not alone. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. And I've really struggled personally with, uh, I've realized today and just talking to family, well, and by family, I mean like people in the people who uh, I've started this podcast out with, uh, just being supportive and um, the groups that I've been in and gone to events with, like they were really supportive and just kind of gave me the courage to, well, not courage, but more so made me realize that how selfish it is to keep this to myself. Because if I didn't share it on my own Facebook feed, then all of the people who know me wouldn't know that this was something that I was doing. And then when I did it, I got a lot of messages from people who were like, oh, my God, I know someone. Or thank you, I have blank. And I was just like, oh, so there's really not, there hasn't been any negative feedback uh, at all as a result of doing this. And, I mean, if there is, I haven't heard it yet. But that just kind of goes to show how awesome my own circle of friends are. Yeah, I hear that. And I, I feel kind of the same way. Like, I actually, you and I talked about this in the last episode, or the last episode that will never be, never re- released from the vault. <laughs> it is lost. Um, <laughs> that is a lost on. episode. That never happened, basically. <laughs> but we did talk about it. Uh, you asked about the feedback from when I did um, post all my friends on Facebook about it. And I didn't really get that many private messages about it. I got a lot of support in that national, like in the um, their Secret Herbies Facebook yeah. groups. People were really positive about it but I will say that the more open I am about who I am as a person like and that includes my herpes status the more people do reach out to me like I do find a lot more people like ask for my advice or come to me with something really personal even if I don't know them that well because they just see that you're a person who's going to be open and non-judgmental um and that's amazing I I love connecting with people in that way yeah so you didn't I mean I tell people from the first time that I did it, when I just shared the podcast, was like, oh, a lot of people don't really care, so it's not an issue. So I would just continue to go on and do it, um, still have the interviews, post about it, blog about it, put it where it needed to be, and I've gotten way more like thank yous and I needed this and I didn't like I felt so alone, but to know that there's at least twelve, thirteen, fourteen, however many people I've interviewed, people out there who have similar experiences but like different stories of course just really help them get through their own personal diagnosis and what it is that they're dealing with and then um, like I said in opening up about it there have been people close to me who have shared their own experiences as well and their own diagnosis or being in relationships with someone who has an STD so I think that the broad perspective really can and will help other people um, as far as dealing with other people who have STDs or if they have it themselves. So, like, the more of this, I want this to kind of focus on, this episode in particular, to focus on being able to open up and share your diagnosis with someone, or if you're on the outside looking in, being open to accepting someone who has been diagnosed and chose to open up to you. So, my question to you, Luna, is... Have you, as inside out, like it's hard to really make that call, but do you have any advice for someone who is negative or who has tested negative or doesn't have an STD, who has someone approach them who does have an STD and just kind of come out to them? 
Like what kind of advice can you give someone who has been trusted enough to have someone open up to them with that information about something so secretive and important to them in their life? That's kind of a big question because it depends on what context. Like if it's a friend or a family member, somebody basically you're not going to be sexually involved with, I think just coming at it with an open mind, like, like anything, it's a health condition. So I have an autoimmune disease. So if I went to a friend and was like, hey, I have this health thing that's going on, this autoimmune condition, I just really want to be open about it because that's like I'm a lot like I generally talk about just being there like you'd be for a friend for anything, you know, anything personal they came to you with, being understanding, not jumping to conclusions, also maybe doing some research if it is something that, that the negative person is concerned about, like knowing that you don't need to be afraid to like share clothes with your friend or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people have a lot of misconceptions about like, I've seen some really weird stuff on the internet. I'm sure you have too. Where oh, yeah. Like, Oh, is it safe to like swim in the same pool as a person who has herpes or whatever, whatever bullshit thing people come up with. Um, yeah, that's, you can totally safely swim in a pool with a person. Who has herpes. <laughs> I was going to make sure so, to say that if you didn't like, Hey, you can swim in a pool with people who have herpes. Right. And I can't actually think of a better example. Cause I'm like, I don't know what things are people, I guess people are concerned about sharing cups. You probably could get herpes from sharing a cup with someone who has it. I'm not really sure. So the latest science has shown from groups that I'm in where this article is being shared that the closest thing would be like lipstick. It can't survive on like a it, it, herpes is passed on skin to skin. And mm-hmm. the closest shareable object that you can contract herpes from is like a thing of chapstick. If I have herpes, I'm having an uh, outbreak, I put chapstick on and I immediately pass it over to someone else to put the chapstick on. That is a likely way to pass it on. Mm-hmm. That's funny you brought that up because I was just talking about that like last week with a couple friends of mine. Um, I was I had read somewhere that herpes doesn't survive, like you were saying, when it's not on skin. If it was on, let's say, like a sex toy or something like that. If it was exposed to air, I think for 10 seconds, could be wrong about that number, I think it dies. But we were talking about how chapstick and lipstick, if you put it on and you put the cap on, then it's keeping moisture in there and maybe that allows the virus to survive. I didn't read that, but I can see how that could be. That's something I'll have to come back on and confirm for us because I'm not 100% sure about that. But I'm kind of um, guessing too. It was just kind of a theory that I was like... Huh, I thought I read that herpes doesn't survive mm-hmm. outside of the skin for more than 10 seconds, but maybe in like an area that had some moisture in it, it could. Yeah. So I think the chapstick thing is totally right. Anyway, my point was get some information, know that your friend doesn't need to be, you know, a yeah. pariah. Like you can still be friends with them. You can still associate with them just because they have herpes. Right. And be understanding, you know. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a person who you are interested in having sex with or having a relationship with even, let alone sex, Keep an open mind there, too. Like, even if you don't want to contract herpes, think about all the different ways that you can have a close relationship with that person with putting yourself at very low risk. I mean, first of all, you can have a close relationship with somebody and not have intercourse. You could have a close relationship with somebody and, like, they could be on daily antivirals or, you know, you could have sex in other ways. Like, you could just do things with hands and toys using gloves. People need to open their mind about the way they have sex and relationships, too, especially if they are dating someone with a positive status and they want to keep their status negative. You can do so much with, like, chains and handcuffs and 
rope and stuff too. So I mean, that's totally, all. Yeah. Just throwing that out on the table. But uh, there's all kinds of stuff you can do if you just like use your imagination. Your and, <laughs> and again, even if you're bringing that to the conversation, not saying like, "Oh, well, you're dirty, and therefore I can't have sex with you," but being like, "Hey, you know, I really care about you. I want to be intimate with you in some way, but I'm concerned about." Especially if people have legitimate reason. Like, if someone does have whatever, if they have another condition that makes getting herpes a higher risk for them, mm-hmm. m- mention that. Be like, I'm just concerned about it for this reason. It's not It's not that I think that you're any less sexy or any less desirable. It's- That's a really good point, too. Um, because, obviously, rejection is something that a lot of people deal with um, who have herpes or any other condition. And... We take it as there being a problem with us for having something. Like, oh, I have herpes. Nobody's going to want to have sex with me. First off, you know, it's wrong of us. I don't want to say it's wrong, but the generation that we live in, with it being 2017 and sex being so available to us, it's like we're rejected for having a condition rather than being seen as a suitable life partner or whatever it is that we're looking for like we don't take it as the person who is rejecting us is more so looking out for their own personal health we take it as we're not good enough and that's really not the case because if the shoe were on the other foot and you're someone who is uninformed or has been misinformed about herpes and you don't have any like education or background about it someone tells you they have herpes and you're looking to have sex with them you're more than likely going to be like no no thanks rather than taking the time to do your research and everything and then too it's all about the it's all about the approach so if you're going to disclose to someone close to you you wouldn't disclose to a family member the same way you would someone you just want to hook up with you wouldn't disclose to someone you just want to hook up with the same way you would someone you really love and care about and the reason that i want to talk about this is because i'm as soon as we get done here i'm going to upload this and send it to uh, a friend of mine someone i recently met he plans on disclosing to uh, his partner very this weekend actually he said he was going to do it this weekend and he and i were going to talk but i think that this may be something that's more useful and helpful to him um in terms of giving him the courage to disclose to her because i mean we don't even think about the best case scenario where if we disclose to someone and they're just like oh yeah me too yeah <laughs> Which i love that happens scenario. yeah I, you and i've talked about that too like how good that feels when you're you're so scared and you're so vulnerable and you're like i'm about to tell you this thing that for so many people is a deal breaker but you tell them they're like oh yeah same it's awesome. Yeah, and then the um, date's over. We eat our food and we just leave and go get the ropes, handcuffs, and whips and chains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I was also going to say, I just wrote, I finally finished, after like a year of working on this, I finally finished this resource slash zine I made that's about having better STI conversations, so I can send that to you. Yeah. I'm going to put it online at some point. Um one of my partners is actually working on illustrating it. He's coming up with these really cool cartoons and stuff like that oh, nice. that are going to make it more fun. But you can send that to your friend as well, just the text. And okay. it's basically like some of the things I just said phrased a lot better because I've like been editing it for a year. <laughs> um, but I talk both about if you have an STI, how to disclose and how to make it, you know, at your comfort level. Like I have no issue with people disclosing or asking about STIs if their person is negative um, via phone, via text message, like however you're comfortable. It doesn't have to be a heavy face-to-face conversation. Yeah. I tend to do things 
this is, speaks to my age a little bit too. Um, but I used to think it was a really negative thing to have STI conversation or like any heavy conversation in general via text. Cause I was like, no, you were supposed to have serious relationship conversations face to face. Right. And a friend of mine who I used to date pointed out to me that that's kind of ageist. Like we do so much communication now with messaging and with phone and whatever, like Snapchat even. And so for <laughs> us to like, that's a natural way for us to communicate. We don't have to sit down face to face and have this conversation, especially if it's something that people are nervous about. And if they were sitting in front of a person, they might not be as organized in their thoughts or they might forget specific questions they wanted to ask. Like if you can do it via text, you could like text them a photo of your test results or you could be like, hey, I'm gonna do this really careful thought out thing that doesn't have any judgment, you know? And especially if we are really steeped in this culture that has so much stigma, Mm -hmm. that can sometimes come out in our conversation even when we don't mean it to. Like. You might be nervous and you might be like, oh, are you clean? Even then you're like, I know that language is wrong. Like, uh, I don't want to use that is. language. But <laughs> clear is out. a much better word. Are you cleared or clear? Someone, I like negative too. And yeah. especially like what specific things are you negative for? Because there's a lot of STIs we can't test for. So mm-hmm. being like everything, saying I'm negative for everything is not accurate, yeah. you know? Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So, um... Oh, I meant to ask you this. I'm, I'm trying to go over in my head what we covered in the last episode, which was a lot and was a lot longer than this one's going to be. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, like you're polyamorous. So as far as disclosing to your partners, how has that gone? Or do you only date people who also have herpes? I definitely do not choose partners based on STI status. (laughs) I know people who do. I have some stories about that, or at least one story I can think of about that, um, where a person who I went on a few dates with only dated people who also had HSV2. And that was because of the way they had outbreaks. Their outbreaks were terrible, and they never wanted to inflict that upon someone else. Yeah, but the thing is, it varies from person to person. So, like, you can have severe, terrible, absolute horrible outbreaks just as a result of maybe not having the best immune system um or you know that's just the kind that's just how herpes affects you but then go on and be with someone who well i'm speaking from i'm talking about this from like backwards angles so let's say i'm someone who doesn't get outbreaks i got my first outbreak and then time passes and if i feel like i'm gonna have an outbreak which is just like a little tingling sensation that doesn't go away immediately, then I'm popping Valchecks and that's it. And I've only had to do that maybe a handful of times, but I could have gone on to be with someone who, you know, I is later having the most severe outbreaks on a regular basis, who antivirals aren't working for. And then like that, that kind of case, it just goes to show how much it varies on the spectrum of severity. You can have nothing or you can have, the absolute worst of the worst case scenarios. Yeah, totally. And I also think that my HSV2 outbreaks aren't bad. And I think that's because I have the antibodies to HSV1 already and I've had them my whole life. So I think that's made my outbreaks less severe. And I do think that's probably influenced the way, how seriously I feel about it too. Like that person didn't want to date anyone who didn't have HSV2 because like their outbreaks were so bad. They were ruining their life for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm a little bit too nonchalant about that experience because I don't share it. Like, my outbreaks have really been no big deal. Right. Like, 
they're irritating. It's like nobody really wants to have bumps on their genitals. Like, you're just, it's not pleasant. Yeah. But it's it's not like it's not interrupting my day or anything like that. Um, so anyway, my point with that was that I interact with people who feel that way. I don't personally feel that way. Yeah. Um, I think it's awesome when someone does match my STI status because it's just one less thing we have to worry about. One less and, like, worry, yeah. It's less stressful. And we can also just relate on that level. Um, an ex of mine who's also a really close friend of mine already knew that I had herpes when we went on our first date. And towards the end of our date, we were, like, walking back to the car or whatever. And she was like, by the way, I also have herpes. And it was like, I got excited. <laughs> I got kind of embarrassed because I'm like, I'm not excited that you have herpes. I'm just, like, excited that our status matches. And she was like, no, no, I know. But she had just been diagnosed. And it was, like, a really heavy thing for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now her perspective has changed so much. Like, we've been able to grow a lot together right. in our relation to having that STI. Like, we can talk about it really openly. We can like, because we're not monogamous, if we've been dating other people, we can talk about other people's reactions to us coming out to them right. or disclosing to them. And like having that support is amazing. Um, so anyway, it's a, it's a nice bonus when someone has it, but I don't <laughs> pick people based on that. Yeah. And I disclose, my favorite way to disclose is let everybody in the whole world know that I have herpes so I don't have to disclose that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I talked about it this before, but I was listening to this uh, there's this Childish Gambino song where he's on a bus going home from camp, and he likes his girl, and he basically, he, he told her, and he told her something, and then later on, another girl came up to him and said that same thing in like a joking manner, and he was like, yeah, I learned this thing, and it's just basically to put whatever it is out there for the world. If you put it out there, then it's not a secret. And nobody can, like, later try and hurt you with it or use it against you. So that's, like, a super cool, powerful way to look at it as well. I Yeah, for me it has been. But I do want to, like, point out, and especially for other STIs, I think people have a lot of stigma against herpes, but, like, there's also a lot of stigma against HIV AIDS, yes, you know? there is. And so there are times when people could disclose and someone could react violently, you know? people do disclose and there can be really negative repercussions. Like someone could kill someone else because they'd be like, what the fuck you tricked me? I can't believe you have HIV. Like Mm. it could, you know, there could be a violent outcome. So I don't want to downplay that either. Have you heard of any situations like that before? Have what? Have you heard of situations happening like that before? I, the reason I bring that up is specifically because of debate I saw online recently where that was mentioned. And Mm. I, I don't have cases that I can refer to. I would have to do more research to see. But I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Because, like, I mean, yeah, like violent reactions, it's, it's not very common. I mean, I guess maybe we just wouldn't hear about those as much. But, I mean, I can see someone finding out later, like, what the fuck, you gave me HIV or whatever it may be. I could just, I can see that. But I just wanted to know if you knew of any, like, actual examples or if there were any I news articles. I don't, I don't. And so I'm okay. a little bit, like, only referring to that because of a specific conversation that I had recently. And Got that was it. brought up as a point mm-hmm. that it can be dangerous for some people to disclose. Yeah. So I do want to mention that and say that, like, I'm privileged to be able to disclose and I don't feel like anything really bad is going to happen from it, you yeah. know? What's Even, a- Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to just ask you, like, what's a good time to disclose? What's the best time you find to disclose? Is it immediately? Is it after the first date? Is it just kind of go with the flow and see how the conversation's going or when? 
I go with the flow. So for a lot of people, like I said, I just kind of let everybody know I have herpes. So also part of the reason I was going to speak to part of the reason why I don't, I'm not picky about people's STI status when I choose to date them is like my dating pool's already small. You know what I mean? Like people need to be non-monogamous. Like that needs to be consensual and agreed upon that like we're not going to become a monogamous relationship at any point because I'm probably, it's highly unlikely that I will. Right. And they need to be feminist. They need to be like have certain political things we agree upon. There's just like a checklist, you know, like a, a all the things you look thing. for in a partner. And yeah. then to add on one more thing, that's just that's just too difficult. <laughs> yeah. So I don't. But then I I tend to just like let my whole community know. So in terms of the polyamorous groups I'm in, Facebook groups and communities and things like that, I just drop it in conversation all the time. Like I just let it be known so that mm-hmm. most people in my dating pool kind of already know about that. Um, but if not, I always like to check in too. And definitely before I have sex with someone, I have a specific conversation and I disclose. So it may come up before I'm considering having sex with someone, or it might be when I'm talking about hooking up with someone or I feel like it's going that direction. Yeah. And I probably drop it in. I'm kind of like, Oh, Hey, so by the way, on this next date, like I would, you know, really love to play with you after the date and see or like see where things go. But I just want to let you know beforehand, like I have HSV one and two. Um, I tested in November negative for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis and HIV or like whatever I've been tested for. Um, and then I'll ask when they were last tested. And so I have a very clear conversation around that. Um, and I think a lot of people might think that that's awkward. Like I, I do. Try and it to shouldn't it be, before. it shouldn't be awkward. And that's what I don't think it's awkward, but no. I think that in like mainstream monogamous heteronormative culture, a lot of people do think it's awkward. They think it's supposed to be like in this in the movies where you just kiss someone and you never <laughs> ask what you're gonna do. You just like slip into bed and have this like yeah, amazing like, sex without communicating at all. In Wonder Woman, obviously Wonder Woman hadn't had sex before, but uh, uh, Steve, whatever his name was, uh, he had had sex before, clearly. And you know they didn't have any condoms on set. Like, <laughs> well, they didn't actually show them having sex. No, no, right? they didn't show them having sex. But like, if you just take that and like look at how society's being programmed, it's like, all right, you kiss, you lay down in the bed, and yeah, the camera goes away. But exactly. when you become no, but older, I that's an issue. Yeah, I it is. How the camera just goes away, so we never hear like if you're even. There's all kinds of issues that you want to talk about before. Like if Wonder Woman had never had sex in that movie, like. Shouldn't that be something you want to talk about? Like, I would probably want to talk about that and let that be known and be like, hey, let me know if this is uncomfortable. Like, I want you to know that from Steve's perspective, like, yeah. he should have been like, if anything is hurting or if you are if you want to stop at any point, like, please let me know that, <laughs> you know? Like, show us having a conversation about consent or about, like, anything, just anything. Mm-hmm. But media totally erases that and pulls the yeah. camera away because we can't ever see that. And at that point, it's on us to take what we know and a lot of what we know just comes from porn. So it's like, mm-hmm. all right, at that point, you know, if I'm a teenager, this is my perception of sex. Oh, you kiss the girl, the next thing you do, you lay on the bed, then fill in the blank. You fill in the blank with shit that happens in porn and you, like, that's not, that's not what sex is. So, right. like, we're kind of on our own to fill in the blanks um, growing up. So, I don't know what we can do educational, like, as sex educators, like, as kids, you don't really want to look to your parents for sex. We often look to our friends who also 
find porn and come across that kind of stuff. So the education tools really just aren't there to know, all right, you should probably have a conversation about STDs. You should probably talk about condoms. You should probably bring up consent, of course. I mean, obviously, in the movie, consent wasn't an issue because you see these kinds of movies all the time. The guy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy and bam, at some point they hook up. And like that's like that's the end of it. There's no post conversation or anything. And right. we're just filling in the blanks with whatever it is that we've learned or what we've taught ourselves. I know. I really wish there was more I mean, I definitely have thoughts about sex education for teenagers and kids too, but especially in media, I wish there were some examples of like even about good consent conversations, because consent doesn't need to be like do you want me to have sex with you right now? Like it doesn't need yeah. to be all you know, weird like that. Like you can first of all you can make it really sexy like there's plenty of ways you can kind of make dirty talk about consent be like i would you know please give me an example right now or whatever like you can (laughs) drop that into your into your interaction (laughs) or you can do it like me and have a but maybe it would be an awkward conversation but i do it via text and like lay things out i'm straight up like I hey, mean, that's kind of foreplay, you. though. Let's yeah, like, oh, yeah, like let, that's foreplay. Hey, I'm about to, I want to grab your neck, throw you up against the wall, and do all these things. If that's okay, and if uh, you know, we can have these conversations about our STI yeah. status, blah blah blah. And then exactly. at that point, it's and like, oh that, yeah, let's have that conversation. Even via text, you'd be like, I would love to throw you up against a wall. Be like, do you want that? You know? Yeah. Or even make someone ask for it. Be like, hey, I want to do these things. Do you? Do you want it? And they could be like, yes. Be like, no. Do you really want it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like make out. them beg. Make that double consent. <laughs> like, you can make it really fun. Yeah. So and then if you got that text would be awesome messages to see in yeah. media. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, there was something I was watching the other day. Oh, have you watched She's Got to Have It yet? Nope. Okay, so it's Spike Lee made this movie in the eighties, and then he like redid oh. it as a TV show. It's on Netflix. I've heard of it. Yeah. And it's cool because it's like the main character is a black woman. She's polyamorous and pansexual. So that's awesome for my communities because that's representation. But I definitely had some issues with the show. Like there was things I really liked about it, but I really didn't like the way they were portraying sex because it was kind of porny where it was just like that like pounding, acrobatic oh, <laughs> yeah. sex. And I was like, does anyone really have sex standing up for like that long I in mean... the middle of the room? Okay, you're a personal trainer, so maybe you do. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> um, and also, I just, like, is it comfortable for me? But I didn't like that they never showed any of those conversations. Like, mm. is she supposed to be this super... She is, like, in the show, a very socially justice-aware, super cool, like, millennial woman... But she never has any of those conversations exactly. Like, she does mention at some point that she always uses condoms. But there's never any mention of So testing. that's it then. Like, that's it. It's, 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 at that point, I'm being programmed to know, oh, just use a condom. And then, mm-hmm. even then, like, that kind of goes out of the window sometimes when you're drunk or when you do have the conversation, like, hey, are you on birth control? Because while, hey, are you on birth control means, oh, you know, I'm, I'm more protected from pregnancy to someone else, that means, oh, I don't have to use this condom. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't actually protect against, as we know, HSV or HPV, you know? Yeah. Like, I mostly use condoms. Well, I don't know. I definitely had a phase in my life where I did not use condoms very much. But you can still get or give herpes when you have a condom on. So, like, that still needs to be a thing that's discussed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think like I've just, gotten really off topic here. No, you you're, you're on topic. Back, <laughs> you're on topic. Because uh, consent is something um, 
and this is something I can now, I, I have a lot of conversations with people now about different things sex-wise. It's not just STDs. I mean, obviously sex is related to the show, but like people who, um, I forget the lady's name, but she reached out to me. She wants to do a project about consent and she really wants to put something together um, along those lines. And she just reached out just to kind of plant the seed. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with it, but we just bounced ideas off one another and she wants to do something to bring more awareness to consent and being able to have these kinds of conversations. So um, this is going to be helpful to her too. So you keep, keep talking. Like we've got stuff here. Um, that actually reminded me when you brought it back to that, that I, the other thing we were going to talk about was sex ed. Like you were saying something about um, what type of sex ed we need for kids. Like I had no sex ed no. essentially. Like I had a little bit, but it was kind of like, they split us up by gender and they were pretty much like, oh, you're going to get your period at some point. And then a couple years later, we had this like really open-ended sex ed class where our teacher, we were in eighth grade and our teacher was like, ask me anything you want about sex. And we were you don't know what to so ask. The dumbest questions. We were like, what positions have you tried? Like, <laughs> And then laughing shit. behind it. Yeah. And I think we need, you know, curriculum. So it's a matter and, of like, educating the educators. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And on a number of different things, like for them to be sensitive to all kinds of different minorities about the actual statistics around STIs. Mm -hmm. We need to totally get rid of abstinence-only education because, like, abstinence-only to me isn't even education at all. No. It's It's, just, like, dogmatic. Looking away. Uh, Yeah, and pretending this thing doesn't exist and that kids won't have sex if you don't talk about it. Yeah. Which is like the opposite of true. <laughs> yeah. And there's just all these unspoken rules. And like, if kids ask where babies come from, they don't come from the fucking stork. You know, I don't know at what point it's appropriate to have that conversation about, you know, sex with children because other people's children, like, it's a matter of being aware of other parents. Uh, not all parents are going to yeah. be on oh, the God, same page point. about that's it. That's such a but, good point because, like, you can be as open with your kid as you want from the day yeah. they're born. You can be like, yeah, here's how baby is made. And keep it really, like, kids are not going to be turned on by that. It's not sexy to be like, the egg, you know, the sperm fertilizes the egg, and then the egg starts growing in the over or like yeah. in the uterus. That's not, no one's going to be like, oh, I can't wait to do that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not actually talking about, first of all, when most parents talk about sex, they're not talking about any of the pleasurable parts of it. No. They're just talking about procreation. And I think at some point in time, you should have very pleasure-focused sex education. Like, people should not be in the dark about that. Um, but you have to be aware of what other parents are going to tell their kids. And if your kid is going to go be honest mm-hmm. and, like, get in trouble at school because their parents were real with them, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and another I'm good, parent, so another good stuff, point behind that is, uh, like, my, I was talking to my girlfriend the other day, and her nephew knows what a vagina is, and he's seven. And uh, one thing that came up was like it's important for kids young that age to know what their private parts are because if they are assault sexually assaulted or molested or anything like that they're not saying they're able to communicate more effectively they're not saying so and so took my cookie or touched my cookie because at that point you know we don't really know if they're talking about cookies or if they're talking about their private parts so being able to identify what you're what having that open conversation and giving them that understanding of all right this is legitimately a penis this is legitimately a vagina we're not using cold words really quick i want to 
point out too that oh. like even that language around vulvas and vaginas so much especially in like actually in all media it doesn't really matter what gender it's focused on people use vagina to refer to the entire vulva and vagina like all of that area and that's not accurate either because a lot of women or people people with vulvas will go to the doctor to the gynecologist and be like oh well i had this spot in my vagina and that's not accurate for your doctor to know either like if you had something that was on your labia that's not the same as in your vagina and that could be a totally different problem a totally different condition or your doctor needs to know where to look so we need to be specific around that language too like you know for people with penises we wouldn't just be like talking about your testes or your balls no. when you're talking about your penis <laughs> like they're two different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I say vagina, 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 and I mean everything right there. Like, the well, insides, like the outside. Fun, <laughs> a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. Um, so, we're at a pretty good point to wrap up. Um, is okay. there anything else that you wanted to touch on or leave us with? And I mean, we can talk for hours. We already talked about this. So, um, we're already at a little over 50 minutes <laughs> and um we can definitely come back and talk again like i enjoy talking to you i do too um i don't have anything specific to say really i do want to say look out for i've got projects coming up that i'm definitely going to share with you and i would love to share i will also share with the internet but i feel like you've got a good platform now Woo-hoo. for me to mention this um a friend of mine just reached out the other day and is trying to start a project of like multidisciplinary. I talked to you about this. Yeah. She's a doctor and is trying to pull together all kinds of medical professionals and sex educators for us to come up with a really good resource that's complete about STIs, all the most up-to-date information we have about what they are, what are the transmission rates, what type of activities put you at risk. So if anyone knows of that existing already, I would like to hear about it. Um, Cause we just don't know if there's like a single central resource where you can find all of that stuff. Oh, we'll find it. As it stands right now, you're like digging through Facebook groups, looking at documents that are 10 years old, you know? (laughs) Shots fired. (laughs) And also, I'm going to publish that um, that zine once it finishes getting illustrated. Yeah, let me know and I'll be sure to share that as well. What was that? I'll be sure to share that as well. That'd be great. Yeah, I'm going to put it on my website and it has like little conversation snippets for if you feel uncomfortable at something kind of example starter places that you could you could use to bring up these conversations. Yeah. So those are good. things I've got coming up. Awesome. How can people find you, Luna? Um, you can go to herbslut.com, H-E-R-B-S-L-U-T.com. Um, I'm on Instagram as herbslut and Twitter as herb underscore slut. Awesome. You can go ahead and say bye to the people. Bye. Thank you, Courtney. It's always good talking to you. No problem. And with that being said, this concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Um, I just did slash am doing a recap of 2017, looking at a lot of the feedback that I got, what we're doing well, what we could change up. And one of the things that I'm looking to do is probably start editing these episodes. Um, luckily I haven't had to yet. Um, I just like cut off the ends and then merge them together, which is really easy, but little things like background noise and all that kind of stuff, trying to get rid of that for 2018, but I'll, I'm not going to touch on all of that here. 
Um, I'll do a separate episode just to recap what's happened in 2017 and what you guys can expect for 2018. I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at HOnMyChest. I'm also on Tumblr, which I don't use. I just kind of post everything from Instagram to Twitter and Tumblr. And then, like, that's all that's there. But if you want to get in contact with me, if you want to be on the show or you have someone you want on the show, um, let me know. I'll reach out to them and see if they can get on here. Um, I found a lot of guests through guests. So uh, I take all of you guys' feedback into consideration. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Please, please, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and now podchaser.com. Um, that's a new one, but it's something that everyone can listen to through any web browser. So far, so good. I really like it. Um, I played around on the website, and it's very user-friendly, very interactive, and easy to um, rate and review for sure. Um, if you... Huh? I, I guess that's it. Like, I'm not going to keep doing all of this. But, like I said, I can be found on uh, Instagram. That's where I'm at most of the time, at H on my chest. And if you like this episode, like I said, please rate and review it. Don't be scared. Like, I know a lot of people won't follow the Instagram account or the Twitter page just because of the association there. But there are a lot of people who follow me who don't have STDs or STIs. So you don't have anything to be scared of. But um, for those who don't, you can still just continue to check in for more updates on new episodes and anything else we got going on. So until next time, stay positive. I have to move very slowly to turn this off so that there's not like a pop noise.